0: Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Before we get to these episodes, I want to thank the following sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. Guys, I wanted to remind you that the GoHunt mapping app is now available for Android and iPhone users. The GoHunt maps are included in your Insider membership. You can go to GoHunt.com forward slash J. Scott and sign up for the GoHunt Insider. You're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. So, not only will you have the unbelievable assets of the Go Hunt Insider with the draw odds, the statistics, the harvest data, all of the strategy articles, but now you're going to have desktop mapping. You're going to have the access to the mobile app. Uh, it's available on Android and iPhone. Guys, something new as well with Go Hunt anything in the Go Hunt Gear Shop, if you Use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount on some amazing gear. Guys, I want to remind you if you have any optical needs at all, whether it be binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, give my friend Cody Nelson at GoHunt a call. He's the Optics Manager. You can reach him at 702-847-8747. You can email him at optics at GoHunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone 602-399-3699. GoHunt.com also has the Summer of Elk giveaway. In this giveaway, there's several ways to enter. You get 1 entry if you subscribe to Go Hunt emails, 3 entries if you spend $250 in the Go Hunt gear shop, 10 entries if you join the Go Hunt Insider. This Summer of Elk giveaway is $15,000 in gear and a 2022 New Mexico rifle elk tag. The Summer of Elk giveaway started on June 14th and ends August 31st at 11:59 p.m. Go to gohunt to sign up. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their continued sponsorship of this podcast. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U.com. Kuyu.com. Kuyu Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Go to Kuyu.com to find out more. Also, Phonescope.com. Use the J. Scott promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. J. Scott 21 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount at Phonescope.com. That's the Digiscoping adapter uh, that I use to take uh, videos and photos on my iPhone. Guys, I want to thank you for your support of this podcast and support of the sponsors. Let's get right to this episode. Okay, good to see you, buddy. How are you? Yeah, good, Jay. How are you this morning? Good. I'm excited to talk elk, man. We're a few days away. Um, when do you leave to head for Arizona? couple weeks?
1: Yeah,
0: I'm planning on
1: pulling out on September 3rd is when I'm thinking.
0: Yeah, full week for the season. You know, when we first talked this summer, what an amazing turnaround the monsoon has done. Um, there specifically in Unit 9, but in Arizona and all across the southwest, just curious your thoughts on you know pretty bleak going into the season and probably when you first checked your trail cameras in unit nine to now what your thoughts are with with what you know now going into the season how are things changed yeah
1: jay it's a 180 degree turnaround i am so encouraged now I think it's going to be a great, great season. I think the rut's going to be good. We're getting great green up, <clears throat> you know, water all over these units. Um, it's going to be the kind of hunt that we've been, you know, waiting for for a long time. Um, I can't thinking back. I can't think of a more <clears throat> active monsoon season since 1999 was the last one that I remember like this.
0: Yeah. So I mean, talk talk a little bit about with the with everybody listening how. You know, monsoon might not affect antler growth for this year, but what it potentially means for the rut, what it potentially means for, you know, carryover feed going into next year, just how important that is.
1: Yeah, it's great for all the wildlife, especially elk. Um, Yeah, last year we really noticed that even though we had great antlers, without the feed, without these elk being healthy in the fall, The rut just didn't really happen. I don't feel like the cows cycled normally. Maybe they did a little later on, some of them. But, you know, during the archery and early firearms hunts, it was just really bleak. Um, You know, with these elk fat and slick and healthy, and uh, these bulls are going to get to learn what it's like to wallow again this year, (laughs) getting in ponds. I think it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a 180 degrees difference.
0: Um, I noticed a couple of those great uh, trail camera videos that you got, where you it looked like you had twelve or fifteen bulls or so um, in one video. Um, really cool footage that you were able to capture down there. Um, curious your thoughts with the with the ban of the trail cameras. Um, we'll, we'll, you and I will be fine because we'll go back to kind of how we always do it, but. Um, as far as just being able to gather really neat clips and get an inventory with trail cameras, is there a part of you that hates to see them go?
1: Yeah, I, I do, Jay, unfortunately. Um, I Like I've talked about before, I don't so much use them as a tool to kill elk with um, because it's very hard to do, really, unless you have an army of people to check them and keep tabs on them, and I'm just not an entourage kind of person. And, you know, I mainly use them to get a barometer of antler growth for the year, just to kind of get an inventory of what the bull crop looks like. So I can give my hunters a realistic expectation of what to look for. And also it's super entertaining to watch, you know, those bulls develop in the velvet, um, you know, be able to see them on video, um, you know, how they establish their hierarchy even during the summer, you know, get get to hear them hissing and grinding their teeth. It's just pretty cool to watch how they act toward each other. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to really miss that. I think it's unfortunate that, you know, we're getting to maybe lose these. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your take on uh, unit nine
0: antler growth compared to all the other years you've been in there? Where do you see it?
1: Yeah. So it's not going to compare to the last two years where the last two years have kind of gone back to the old days as far as, you know, just phenomenal bulls, um, you know, lot Quite a few 350-plus bulls and some real special bulls. Um, You know, this year is, um, you know, more of just a real average year. I'm surprised that it's not worse, to be honest. You know, I do see some bulls that look like they're droughty, um, but then a lot of them that look just pretty unaffected. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be, well, I know there's going to be real solid bulls out there. You know, not as many top-end bulls, obviously, as, you know, last year or the year before, but I think... Still going to be a solid crop of bulls this year. Steve, how is um, Elk Camp TV being
0: received uh, this season? I know you're um, midway through your season. How's it going?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of hard to believe that Monday, this coming Monday, marks the ninth week of, of the show on Sportsman Channel. And uh, there's actually, I'll tell your, your viewers um, and your followers, that there is a, a calling-specific episode that's coming on this Monday. Talks about how I call to satellite bulls versus, versus herd bulls, shows footage, um, and then some hunts mixed in there. A real entertaining and educational episode. So I would encourage anyone to, to follow along and watch at it. It airs uh, Monday evenings at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, so that'd be 5 p.m. for Arizona viewers. Of course, you can do part of the show. So, yeah, it's being very well-received so far. Fantastic. And guys, um, keep putting
0: your questions down here. Um, I'm going to scroll through them here in a minute and answer a bunch of questions. Um, I've got a couple questions for Steve, first and foremost. So Steve, um, known you a long time. I think we met in 97, I think, something like that, uh, when your dad was down in Arizona, had an elk tag. We've been friends ever since. Um, You kind of came and when I first met you, you were, you know, into calling uh, then Um, but talk about your, you know, role as, as a guide, your, your, what I would consider a calling guide, um, and, and how you're able to take that year after year and get better and how you've improved your craft. I, I consider you the best elk caller on the planet. Um, and I don't say that lightly. Um, and it's not just because you're my friend, you, To me, you make the best wide variety of sounds of anybody that I know Um, from everything from cow calling to bugling. It seems like you've really mastered your craft um, and gotten better. It seems like every year you continue to get better. I'm just curious, you know, talk about being an elk caller and how that's kind of, you know, um, over time kind of morphed into where you're at now.
1: Yeah, Jay, that goes clear back to the early 90s, you know, when I was first inspired by guys like Wayne Carlton and Will Primos. you know. Um, I just loved their uh, drive and their passion for elk hunting, and so I got the bug from that. And then I remember it was actually 1995, not to date us too much, but that my dad had (laughs) a rifle tag, and that was a good year. That was another good moisture year. And uh, I remember showing up, and I think I had a Loman mouth read, and I had one of those hyper hot cow calls by Woodswise. Remember that call? Yeah. Uh, sure. I remember you were the one who first introduced me to the Primo's pallet plate mouth reads. You actually gave me a black sentry plate. I can still remember that. And, um, man, that, that was the start to changing my calling right there because you, you were already such a good caller right then, Jay, and I learned a lot from you and how you call And so yeah that pallet plate was the biggest thing to come along as far as improving elk calls and um, you know I've had a lot of time I'll be honest not. I don't feel like I'm a natural at it I've just had a lot of time to spend especially with uh, some of my farming background spent a lot of time on a tractor and uh, it's kind of good practice and what I always um, seek to do even nowadays is either improve upon a sound um, that I feel needs improving on or Try to figure out a sound that would maybe make me a little bit unique or set me apart out there in the woods. Um, so I'm not just like the next guy when I'm out there calling to those bulls. That's what I really look to do. I always tell people, you know, when you're out actually out there calling to elk, focus on your strengths. But then in the offseason, work on your weaknesses.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the things with my calling. You know, I kind of have, I'm, I'm kind of a poke have basically one or two tricks, and I'm, I'm good at those. I feel like you have, you know, just such a wide variety, but you practice, and you, and you practice all year long. Um, and I think it shows uh, in all of the different sounds. And later I'm going to have you demonstrate some of that. But let's go ahead and um, dive into a few of these questions here. Um, and uh, guys, like I said, continue to put your questions. I also have some that came in. Um, from instagram uh earlier and let's see here september 10th opening day what's your go-to strategy when other guys head back to camp 10 a.m to 1 p.m i'd I'd probably
1: be there in camp with those other guys (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah i'm with you on that um you know, maybe if there, I know there's not a full moon on the 10th. The full moon, I think, is, is it the 20th, Jay? Yeah,
0: the 20th. 20.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I'll tell you, in Arizona, if this guy's hunting in Arizona, which it sounds like he is because he's talking about the 10th and that being the opener, I mean, there is a real marked shutdown in the bugling. Um, and I found that even if you get in there and you dog a herd into the bedding area and you get in there close with that bull and his cows and you're either, you know, making bull sounds at him or you're trying to cow call him over – and you're pestering him a little bit and he's just not responding well to it man I, I say i say mark it mark your spot there and back away you know even if you don't go back to camp back yourself away from that and don't force the issue too much because you can do more harm than good in a scenario like that especially if you're out there you don't totally know where the elk are at and you're tromping around and you you don't the wind right things like that um so you can be as you can be as unproductive as you can be productive so you know save your energy for the prime time and make it count when when the elk are viewing yeah i mean i could see someone that's maybe in
0: colorado on an otc hunt and they're you know back way in the back country and they're trying to figure out what what to do during the day um you know i might say you know get within a couple hundred yards and maybe just do some calling and see if you can pull a bull you know, away. But I'm with you, Steve, and the fact that I feel like, you know, so many people want to try and just go, go, go. And the reality is there's only a couple of hours during the day that you can work elk and not booger elk. Um, The worst thing I think you can do as a hunter is just be all day long, just going and going and blowing elk everywhere. I mean, you're, you're not doing a service to yourself or the other people in the unit that you know you're just blowing elk all over and disturbing them i feel like you would be better off to kind of rest up and then have a good game plan for the afternoon yeah. um for sure so we, we kind of see it the same way uh, we've got a question here rut predictions for montana looks like a full moon during what would be the best week uh we're planning on opening week hunt based on the moon uh finally starting to get some moisture here too um you know, I wouldn't attempt to um, predict what's going to happen in Montana. I've only been there a couple of times. Um, but I do know, you know, with that full moon being on the 20th, um, you know, you're probably going to have midday or, excuse me, primetime activities probably going to be cut a little bit short because they're going to be up all night wanting to head to their beds first thing in the morning. Um, you know, Steve, you've hunted through full moons your whole life. Um, what kind of strategy do you you know, do you kind of take, or mindset do you take into a full moon when you're, you know, bugling season, full moon hunting?
1: Yeah, I mainly try to really focus on making those that first half hour of light be the best of the day. I mean, never miss a morning hunt at all, especially on a full moon, because, you know, that first 30, 15 to 30 minutes can be all that you have in, an, in the entire day, because the afternoon hunting is really poor. So, yeah i want to be out there sometimes if i need to i'll go out there in the middle of the night and locate pockets of bugling again so that i can be right on first thing in the morning and um yeah if you do get a bull bugling i don't mess around with it sure i try to get the wind right uh, or i do get the wind right but i hustle in there and get right in there and mix it up quick because it can shut down real fast on you so you just got to take advantage of that prime time and then occasionally um, they will have an active period during the middle part of the day when there's a full moon, but again, you got to be really cautious. If you go out there and they're not active, don't push it because, like you say, Jay, you can do more damage to your hunt. Than good. And pressured and pushed out become less and less vocal, and it only makes it harder for you and everybody out there.
0: Yeah, for sure. That leads me to thinking about a question of afternoon hunts, um, whether it's full moon or just you know, maybe a little warm and dry. And, and, you know, what do you do on those days when, you know, you're out there at, you know, three or four in the afternoon and there's just nothing going on. And then as the afternoon progresses, it's just, you can just tell nothing's happening. But it seems like right at that last, you know, almost right at shooting light, stuff starts to happen. How do you kind of prepare for that? And what kind of strategies do you use when you kind of feel like it's, it's you know, dead in the afternoon or late evening?
1: Yeah, Jay, I used to move around a lot during the afternoon, and I would call and move and stay mobile. And, you know, really, that would work sometimes, but I felt like overall that was kind of a mistake because what would end up happening inevitably, like you just talked about, is during the last 15 minutes or so of light is is where i would get a bugle and then i would think oh that this is a great spot because i got a bugle here well it was just timing was all it was so i've become less inclined to move around during the afternoon uh, like i do in the morning i am mobile in the morning but in the afternoon i like to be on a herd in the morning and mark them and then be able to come back in the afternoon and get right in tight obviously taking the wind into account And, um, you know, just be right there, and hopefully they chime up just a little bit, and I'm close, and I'm able to hustle in there and get on them. Um, You know, I really hate when I have to try to force the issue in the afternoon. Um, You know, if they're not vocal during, say, that last 30 minutes of light or or something like that, I kind of use my instinct. But, um, you know, I may try to pull something out of them, that last little bit of light, Um, although it's a a toss-up as to whether it's going to work or not because – I always say when they're vocal on their own is when they're callable, and they're not, it's very tough. Yeah, Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, I've got a question here. When within 200 yards of a bull, how often do you bugle
1: if he's quiet? Yeah, I definitely would not want to overdo that if I was within 200 yards of him, um, because if he's not reacting well to it, I'm not just going to continually force the issue on him. I'm one of these, you know, take his temperature kind of people. Um, I really, you know, kind of base my calling off how how they're reacting to me. And if he's not bugling back a lot, I'm probably going to go more quiet and stealth on him and really start listening for him just to be making, you know, little sounds or or maybe raking a tree or something like that and use that to my advantage. But I'm definitely, you know, not going to go way vocal on him when he's not giving it back to me. And I feel like too when you're you know getting closer and in
0: that two hundred and inside and he's and he's clammed up or he's quiet, he's probably quiet because he has cows and he's probably quiet because he doesn't really want you around, Um, and I think that's one thing, Steve. You and I have spent a lot of time around elk and kind of learned that you know when they're quiet, they're quiet for a reason. Um, The other challenge is like. If you're bugling and making all kinds of racket and he's quiet, he's quiet for a reason. He's probably not coming. Um, I feel like a lot of times you get caught walking into a bull. um, And, you know, when they go quiet, it's kind of one of those things. You either have to sit and wait for them to come to you um, or or move towards them. And more times than not, when you move towards them, you end up boogering them.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, because they're watching and listening. And if you've been calling – they're definitely paying attention to that direction where your calling was coming from. And yeah, like you say, when they're stationary and you're moving nine times out of 10, they're going to hit you before you see them. So yeah, it's a very sketchy situation to do that.
0: Um, We've got a question here. Any tips for cow calling to locate bulls? This might be a good opportunity, Steve, um, for you to maybe demonstrate either with an external or or open read or with a mouth call, um, kind of what, you would do if you're just kind of trolling if you will trying to locate a bull and maybe what your sequence of timing of of your call would be
1: yeah so you know i would tell guys if you're not super comfortable on a mouth read i tell guys all the time you can call so many bulls in with an open read call and i'll use an i'll use both but i'll use an open read call a lot to locate Um, you know i start out kind of just I would say a little bit conservative as far as calling. I'm not going to blow super loud in the beginning. You know, I'm just going to blow something like this. I don't know how this is going to turn out, especially without my gloves on, Jay. Okay?
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> blow a couple calls like that see if you get a response. Uh, maybe if they don't call back, sometimes I'll even cut my hands and get both, you know, both hands on it. Give it a little more volume, maybe a little higher tone a little more remote. so
0: it, is that like if you kind of are walking and you don't you haven't really heard anything but you kind of gotten to a spot maybe at, at, on a spine ridge or something where you've got a valley and you kind of feel like there should be some elk you kind of walk to a spot like that and then project a little bit and then just kind of listen and see if anything you know sounds off and, and my question would be, in that scenario where you're calling like that, are, is it typical just to have kind of a faint, just I'm over here, answer kind of like, uh, you know, I'm bedded, and is that what you kind of expect? And if you if you do hear that, then what's your next move?
1: Yeah, if it's a little later in the morning, then that scenario you're talking about is, is really likely that they're just gonna answer you and let you know. Typically what I'm gonna do is then I'm gonna be quiet and I'm going to move in and try to cut the distance down a lot. Now, I don't want to move in and bump him, but I'm going to move in and try to get within, say, 150, 200 yards. If he hasn't bugled again, then I might try to take his temperature again. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes they you and sometimes they don't. Uh, When I get in there closer, I'm going to try to be a little more subtle on the call, a little quieter with it, blow it away from him. you am going to turn away and blow it the other way. you know, if it's a little earlier in the morning, the bull might jump all over the call, might might be just what he wants to hear. And then you can move in and he's going to continue to be vocal. Uh, again, I'm going to try to move in and get inside of that 120-yard range and, and uh, I'll call him right in.
0: Steve, um, hold that call up. I'm not sure if that was your trophy wife or a heartbreaker, um, but it looks like a trophy wife, I think. Yes. Um. Talk, talk about the um, shallowness of that soundboard, and that's where I feel like your open read calls, um, you know, I try every Elk call out there. I'm not biased to anyone. I'll try whatever I think's best, and your um, open read calls, in my mind, by far, are, are and have been for many, many years the best. Why is that, you know, shallow soundboard? And maybe that's not the right term, but it seems like I can make much better sounds on your call than than any others
1: yeah jay it it is it's definitely a flat soundboard if you're looking at it and you're looking at that mylar reed, it's super close to that soundboard i just feel like for elk sounds in my experience and like you i'm not biased i try all the calls that come out i've just found that this flatter soundboard angle just tends to make more elky type sounds it's got a more full three-dimensional sound to it um they will here on you. I will. That. So there's a couple of things like I've talked about in the past. You want to be sure and be getting the air from your diaphragm. They're just puffing it through your mouth mouth. You're going to get less saliva. And then you want to keep this call up to, temperature. you know, keep it inside of a layer of clothing. So it stays closer to your body temperature and then it's less likely to condensate. But, uh, yeah, those, are, those are the keys to a good cow call.
0: And, um, Steve, you have some great YouTube videos out there on you demonstrating that call. But also, since we have the ability to have visual here, show how you hold your hand um, specifically um, and why that's important. And you, you've you tried all the different things. You know, some guys really cup it. Why that's important you feel to hold it. I mean, I've, I've tried to mimic and hold it exactly how you do
1: as well. Yeah. Pretty much like this, Jay. I'm kind of... Putting it between my index finger and thumb, if I'm making the OK symbol. I guess you could say. I think you can do it that way. It's and loose. then I just keep my hand nice and loose. I don't want to be tense in any sort of way. And then same way with my mouth. I mean, I can feel myself tensing up a little bit right now because I know I'm on video. But um, <laughs> I can relax, as I can. You know, relax my mouth. Bring the air up from deep down and. <laughs> yeah just like that sometimes I'll use my last my ring finger and my pinky finger like that to just deflect this
0: is there ever a time when you put your other hand in front to kind of just muffle it even more or or if you're trying to get soft is there something specific you do there
1: sometimes I will especially if I have gloves on yeah I'll, I'll use my other hand yeah and 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 turning myself away and just thinking about bringing up real light air pressure to make the call quieter you can really quiet it down when you need to yeah
0: and when they're a lot of times when they're coming and trying to pinpoint your location you're also trying to kind of pimp them a little bit and not let them know exactly you're trying to think they're you're further back so that they
1: go ahead and come on by the caller right Or, or the hunter exactly their depth perception is amazing i mean they can literally walk up and know the tree that you're calling from they can come from a quarter of a mile away and know right where you're at so like you say as much as you can you want to try to fool that depth perception that they have by throwing the sound around and putting it behind you and off to the side
0: Steve, got a couple questions here, where your show is found, and then it also says, is it still on MOTV? Yes. It's the Sportsman's
1: it, channel. Or... Yes, it's on Sportsman channel. So they're airing season four on Sportsman channel right now. The best time to see the show would be Monday evenings at uh, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, 5 p.m. Arizona Time. Um, they could also catch it on Thursday afternoons. I think it's on at 1.30 on Thursday afternoons. And then uh, seasons one through three, all three of those seasons are playing on my outdoor TV. So they can go on to myoutdoortv dot com. They can watch all three of the seasons. I think it's a like a nine or ten dollar a month subscription is all it is. So it's a lot less expensive, you know, than cable. Um, but a, a lot of content on there. I mean, more than my show. There's probably five hundred high quality shows on my outdoor TV. Okay. I got a question here
0: should I even attempt any bugle calls on the Colorado public land over the
1: counter early archery or stick with cow calls? Oh. You know you're you're talking to a guy that through the years overall, you know, I would say I'm a lover for the most part. You know, unless I know I'm de- dealing with a herd bull, I'm mainly going to be cow calls most part. Um, you know, unless you feel like when you're out there early in the season, and the bulls aren't really cowed up, and they're not really interested in your cow calls. Then that might be a time if bulls are still raking and kind of establishing territory and that type of thing. Um, you know, then some bugling and raking and that type of thing can work. Um, you know, even even chuckling and raking that type of thing. Um, but again, I, I, I want to emphasize stick with your strengths. If you know if you don't feel like chuckling is something that you're good at, I I would stick with raking, bugling. Um, you know, you don't even necessarily have to bugle. Sometimes non-vocal. We've talked about this before, Jay. Just just raking uh, and get yeah. bulls to. So yeah, it doesn't always have to be eliciting a sound.
0: Well, and I think too on over-the-counter Colorado hunts and heavily pressured hunts, if you're raking, um, a lot of times other hunters aren't hearing you as well. And you you know yep. you're, the bull anything that's within a hundred yards or maybe a little more that can hear you those bulls are probably going to come over. They they just, it, the curiosity always kills the cat and it seems like they always want to know what's making that raking sound, especially when they bugle lightly at you or bugle aggressively and you don't answer. That's almost like a slap in the face of like, how dare you not answer me? So I think raking is one of the most underrated tools out there. We've got a question here. Rut prediction for Arizona archery this year, unit nine and 10 with moisture moon phase Uh, What do you think the best days will be this year, Um, Steve?
1: Yeah, again, I think the rut's going to be strong, especially as the hunt goes along. I think we could have some bugling right at the beginning. You know, it might get knocked down by that opening weekend push, so be ready for that. Um, But I think guys could call bulls in right off the bat. Um, I do think the rut's going to get stronger, especially as we approach, say, the 17th, 18th of the month, Um, you know said by biologists that most of these cows are going to have their estrous cycle around that fall equinox, which is on the 22nd, and the full moon is on the 20th. So I think right during that, i tell you, if I had to pick a week, right during that 18th to the 23rd, that last five or six days, of the hunt, that's when I think it's really going to heat up. And then I believe that that uh, early rifle muzzleloader hunt would be phenomenal as well. Um, But, yeah, I think the best rutting activity, if you have to pick days, I would pick 17th, 18th, and to the end of the hunt.
0: I always say the 20th of September is is when everything just goes crazy, and it seems like a couple days before that and a couple days after that. Obviously, it depends a little bit where you're at, but, I mean, I think in general, all across the southwest, New Mexico's gotten hammered with rain. Arizona's gotten hammered with rain. Most of Colorado's gotten hammered with rain. The northern parts, um, maybe not as much. Idaho, I know, is dry. Montana's dry. Um, But I think 9 and 10 are going to be bang-up years, uh, uh, a bang-up year this year. It would not surprise me with those guys with unit 10 tags that they get out there and, you know, two, three days before the season, they're already just tearing it up. Um, But like you said, Steve, it seems like we always have a good opener on Friday good opener on saturday and then sunday seems like it just lulls out because they finally have been pressured enough and it takes them a day or two to kind of get back in their rhythm but um i'm expecting just a phenomenal um elk rut this year uh do you hunt in the rain or wait till it stops
1: um you know if it's a downpour typically it shuts things down um i like to be out there you know right afterwards if it's if it's a torrential downpour it seems to me like it usually shuts them down maybe for even a day or two but i tell you if it's a drizzle or just 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 showering absolutely i'll go out there and hunt because a lot of times that really lights them up um so so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pay attention you know to whether it's a torrential downpour if it is you know typically that's going to shut them down but Uh, yeah if it's if it's drizzling or showering it can really get them going even in the afternoon yeah it seems like midday if you just have those light showers it gets
0: them up out of their bed and they're checking their cows and moving around but i'm the same way i mean we've been in unit nine um in different camps texting each other like you know it's a toad strangler and like you know for three days you know nothing's going to happen because we got two and a half inches of rain and it just kind of I don't know why, but it just, it seems in Arizona, it just shuts them down when they get those, when you get those big rains for sure. Um, Got a question here. How many calls or sounds are you making in a typical encounter with a bull you're wanting to call in?
1: Yeah, I, I tell you, most of the time I am sticking with what is working. I'm not changing things up, so you know, I may use different sounds in different scenarios, but in a particular setup i'm usually going to be pretty much a one trick pony like if i'm blowing an external cow call and that bull is eating that up i'm not going to change a thing i'm going to keep giving him what he's liking i'm not going to throw in a bugle i'm not going to glunk i'm not going to change to a diaphragm cow call i'm just going to give them what they want so that's how i've been successful for all the all these years is uh with what they're liking
0: don't you think steve um with, with all the amazing content out there and information that people are able to gain with all the different styles of elk calling and, and whatnot, don't you think that people in general, what I at least hear out there, is they get try and get really way too cute. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's instead of just you being kind of like a one-trick pony and, and seeing what they want, they just give them everything, give them the whole kitchen sink. I hear it all the time. Yeah. And it just doesn't. It just seems to push the elk away.
1: Yeah, Jay, I, w- I would agree. Um, it just seems like being an elk factory out there doesn't seem to be what what works for me anyway. Um, yeah, I think stick to stick to what's working. Um, yeah, don't try to call like you would during a calling contest. I know that's <laughs> what they're calling. Contest it doesn't out there in
0: the woods. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's a better Elk caller, Scott or Chapel from Ryan Waffler? That's a no-brainer, Chapel. For sure. Way more sounds, way, way more sounds for sure. Not even not even close. Um, Can you explain how and when to use the estrus call?
1: Yeah. um, I am still pretty shy overall about using that sound because it you know it's a super aggressive sound. The first thing I want to say about it, Jay, is, is I want people to know that I don't think it's a sound that is just limited to the rut. You know, cows make this sound throughout the year, especially when they're in the summer with their calves. I saw a video that you posted where you can hear them making that sound. But I, I believe during the fall when they're in heat that there's a there's a different level of intensity of that sound. And you don't just hear it in the, screamy part of the call, but you hear it in their mew. Their mew has a really whiny, almost desperate sound to it. Um, that cow that I videoed in 3C, yeah, again, if, if, if you watch that footage, you see she's not only making that <coughs> screamy sound, she's also mewing as well, but it's got a really wavy real kind of desperate sound to it and i feel like that's the added element that you don't hear during the summertime now whether it's a true estrus sound or not is up for debate all i'm saying is follow along with someone who knows how to make that sound fairly well and it works regardless of what you want to say it is um you know whether you want to nitpick at whether it's a true estrus sound or not um you know, my, my cousin Gary Stanley would attest to it. He's been with me, and he tells me, Steve, I would say 80% of the time during the rut when you blow that call on an evening hunt when nothing is happening, nothing is going on at all, and you start trolling and making that sound, 30 minutes later we got bulls running in, into our lap. So yeah. I say adults speak for themselves regardless of what this sound is supposed to mean, the the you know, when you have bulls coming in running, it obviously means something good to them. So, um, yeah,
0: and, and for sure, I mean, us as humans, there's really no way for us to say exactly what each sound is and exactly what it means. But what you're saying, and I've seen I've seen you do it myself, um, it 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 works and it brings those bulls in and they know what that sound is. So regardless of wh- exactly what the sound is, they know what that means yeah. Or they think they know what that means yeah. because they, they tend to come in and they come in hard and they come in
1: fast. At the very least, it's a very demanding come-to-me-now sound, at the very least, I would say. And it, it does get results. And I'm mainly using it. I don't really use it as my go especially in the mornings. Um, 2019, I can think of one scenario where the bulls weren't bugling. And I thought, I always use it in the scenario where I have nothing to lose, Jay. I don't ever use it as my first line of attack, and maybe I should. Um, but a lot of times, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm guiding all the time, and so I feel just a little strange just ripping that call out and walking around hammering it, because I'm thinking, what is my thing right now, screaming like a chimpanzee? But uh, <laughs> on the morning in 2019, nothing was going, so I thought, hey, this guy can't say anything because nothing's happening. So... i I literally did i turned to him and i said pardon me but i'm going to blow this estrus call all the way back to the truck and we had about a half a mile walk back to the truck and i bet i hadn't walked 200 yards doing that sound about every time my left foot hit the ground and a bull chimed off at it about 500 yards away and we ended up calling that bull in and shooting at that bull at 25 yards that morning whereas i feel otherwise we would have never even known he was there can you demonstrate that call? Do you have a mouth call there? I do. I'll probably absolutely butcher it, but it, this call to me takes a ton of, of confidence and, and being relaxed, um, kind of deep down in your stomach and, you know, getting that air from deep. But let me see if I can. <laughs> that's pretty much it, right there jay and when i do that you know by contrast to when i'm calling with more regular cow calls or an external call i blow that call a lot when i'm moving in toward full so so you're actually
0: when you're when you're getting, you're going to a bull, you're blowing that call, and, yeah. and you're just blowing it. Are you blowing it in recession or in repetition, just like that, just just over and over, and you're going right at them?
1: Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Then I become from being that kind of more conservative caller to being that more obnoxious loudmouth, if you know what I'm saying. I'm that I'm that chick that's a loudmouth at that point. And I found Jay that if if I quiet down or I stop. And, and try to keep making that sound, usually it causes the bull's temperature to go down. But I found if I keep moving toward him and making that sound, he's coming at me, I'm coming to him, and I've got to pretty much pick the right time to have that train wreck, if you will, and set up at just the right moment, right at the last, and have him come right in.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like not using that call is something you choose because... I mean if you were just by yourself and no one else was with you do you feel like you would probably use it more um in other words are you a little shy to use the call and why
1: yeah jay um... because
0: because before you answer because if if 99.9% of the guys could actually make that sound that's all they would make so i'm just kind of curious why you're
1: hesitant to use it I don't know why. It, it's kind of strange. Um, you know, and you just reminded me, that's how I killed my bull in 2010 in 7 East. Yeah. Um, super tough, not, vocal, not much bugling at all. I had done kind of just my normal calling sequences, the hunt. You know, I called in several bulls, but nothing, you know, really big I wanted to I'd kind of set my standard at 340, 350, even though it was a tough year, and I was willing to eat my tag if I didn't see a bull that I really wanted to shoot. And uh, it was evening of the 13th day, and uh, I, I got a bull to bugle back to me with a bugle, but then he completely shut down as we approached him. He didn't make another peep. And we got up fairly close to him, and I didn't know at the time if he was a herd bull or what. And I tried cow calling to him. He didn't answer. I tried bugling to him. And uh, my cousin Gary was with me videoing, and he says, Steve, start blowing he, he – he calls it the sludge alcohol. alcohol. He said, pull that thing out and start blowing it because what do you have to lose? And I looked at him and smiled, and I said, you're right, man. So I just started walking in the direction where I thought that bull was at and started blowing it. And I'm telling you, Jay, he lit up. And he probably bugled, I would say, half a dozen times easily uh, as I approached Cut the distance down about 150 yards. I could tell he was – he went from not talking to screaming his head off, chuckling aggressively, glunking, and came in and came up to 25 yards. And and uh, it was just dramatic how it changed. And, um, yeah, he was a herd bull. He actually, when I got in tight, he just left the cows and just came right into it.
0: Yeah, it's it's a heck of a call. Um, but I feel like, you know – I even watch the World Championship elk calling contests and stuff, and there's very few people that can actually make what I feel like, what I've heard with my own ears, and some of the things that I've been able to video, and then the the, the cow you videoed in three C. Yeah, it's it. I've, I've heard very few people that can actually make that exact sound. So I think, um, you know, I think that's one of the challenges is people think they know what that sound sounds like but i wish they i wish all of them would listen to exactly how you're making that sound because you're you're the only person i've found that can make it more spot on to the actual sound that we know um i don't know i just it seems like if if more elk callers would really concentrate and figure out how to do that call they would be a lot better off
1: yeah, I would say no doubt. It's the hardest call to learn that you're going to try to master. And so, yeah, I wouldn't go out there and just use it indiscriminately. I would really want to feel like I've mastered it before I do it. And even for me, you know, sometimes like I'm sweeter on it than I am other times. And, again, I think it's all about, um, you know, my, my confidence level at the time. And if I feel relaxed or, or not around my hunter or whoever's with me, Um So, yeah, again, I wouldn't use it as a go-to call unless you feel super confident in in how you're sounding on it. You're going to be way better off, you know, just blowing, you know, regular cow calls on a mouth read or an open read call um, rather than throwing something out there that you're not super strong at. Do you mind – there's
0: kind of two parts of that call. There's the high pitch and then there's the, 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 the raspy, if you will. If you were going to give someone some advice on how to make that call, I would assume you kind of have to master one piece and the other piece and then blend them together. Could you at least maybe talk about that or try and demonstrate maybe how someone could get better at that?
1: Yeah, Jay, you're right. There's kind of a growly part, and I would say that I get that. You can either get it by vibrating your lips as you're blowing through the call like this. This is kind of how I used to do it. Okay, now I'm more so inclined to use my vocal cords and I kind of, I kind of hum through my vocal cords as I'm blowing the call more like this. And I think I almost kind of blow it out of the corner of my mouth when I do that part of the sound, okay? And then usually what I do is I'll start Start the call with that growly part. I'll, I'll do some just growly calls like that, but then I'll, as I'm doing the growl, I push it into that higher tone and stop humming with my vocal cords like this. <laughs> Has that rally real depth deep element but then it all also pushes into that real high kind of excited tone as well
0: yeah awesome awesome man i uh, got a question here common mistakes made around uh, made around big bulls common mistakes people make around big bulls
1: yeah I would say probably the most common mistake I think you can be you can be too passive obviously so I don't want to miss talking about that you know you can be too passive and just sit back I I've, I've seen people set up with their face mask on arrow knocked and everything a bull's bugling a half a mile away and he's obviously pushing into the wind and going away from him and they're expecting an you know imminent encounter um, but then I've also seen people who are just too aggressive and they don't take the wind into account um they don't take into they don't take the bull's temperature and see if he's reacting well to what they're putting out there if they're calling at him. I would just say you know really really put your you know your your elk brain uh, into action and uh, use your instincts. You know if if you're, if 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 your instincts are telling you you know hey he's not reacting well to this call he's not bugling back to it um, you might want to either try something different if he doesn't react well to that and if he's pushing away um, you know leave him alone. I've had had lots of encounters where I'll I'll call a herd bull in, we don't get the bull killed, and he moves away with his cows. I think most people's first reaction would be to pick up and chase that bull. Usually my reaction is to to not, to leave him alone. I feel like once I've called him in that morning or that evening, um, I want him leaving not knowing really what happened because I feel like that gives me an opportunity to call him in another time you know, especially using a different call in a different scenario. So uh, yeah, I'm not going to overpush the issue.
0: uh I'm hunting a limited entry unit with lots of public surrounded by private. Would you hunt the center of the unit or would you hunt the borders of the private?
1: You know, it's kind of amazing how elk understand sanctuary. I mean, no matter where you're at, whether it's next to a national park, an Indian reservation, private land, they seem to understand about sanctuaries. So I would say no doubt, um, you know, that that viewer would probably um, have action around the borders for sure. So I would say absolutely check that out and don't rule that out. Um, but then again, you know, there's obviously going to be elk in the center of the unit as well. Uh, I'm thinking frustrated frustrating the borders because, again, those elk understand that. And in the mornings they're going to be racing for it, so you're playing a, a race to the, to the fence line, so to speak. And then in the evenings, a lot of times they're going to hang back, they're going to stay on the private side where you can't hunt them, and they're just going to tease you with bugling and not and not come over the fence. Many times, I know Jake. Yeah. I know you called a bull in unit one uh, years ago over the over the boundary and into the unit, and your hunter hunter took it. I've done that as well, so so it is possible, but it can also be frustrating. Yeah, I mean that was with Doug Jenkins in 02,
0: a real bad drought year. We were in Unit One, and um, we we're just trolling the fence of the White Mountain Apache, and um, cow called and a bull answered as far onto the reservation as you could possibly hear a bull and still hear him. And um, I said, "Let me see what I can do." And I just started getting after him with the cow call, and the bull really liked it, and he just—you could tell he was coming. So I kind of backed off, and Doug kind of backed off, and. I said, whatever you do, he's got to cross that fence. He's gotta come over on our side. You, yeah, you know, he's got to be on our side. And that bull came and he you know, I just gave him a little and he bugled and I could tell he was closer and, and he kept coming and he'd bugle and I'd shut up and not answer him every two or three times and he I mean he came all the way. He got right to the fence. I'm back watching Doug. The bull's got his head over the fence looking both ways. I'm thinking he's not gonna jump. He jumps over the fence, gets on, you know, our side, and is standing there looking around, and Doug just hammers him and, um, you know, called the bull right off the White Mountain Apache. But one thing I will say is, you know, at the Ot 6 Ranch since 17, I've been there, and and people just hunt all around the perimeter of the fence, and I kind of just cringe because i know that those elk know exactly where the private line is and where the fence is and they know where the pressure is and they know where the pressure isn't and i feel like if people would actually just go hunt somewhere where they don't have to worry about private then they can just go hunt i see so many people wasting their whole hunt hunting on our border when those elk they don't they know exactly where that there's no pressure and they're not going to get um, messed with as soon as they go over the fence, they get you know harassed, and I I just feel like if it were up to me, I would probably choose to hunt in the center of the unit where you don't have to deal with the private and just go mess with elk that you know you know you're following them and following them and boom they jump the fence and you know you're done. I mean they'll answer you across the fence, but they're not coming very rarely. Um, so I mean my advice to the guy would be I would go find some great elk habitat in the middle of a unit where you don't have to mess with private. Yeah. Um, David Hi. Blanton from Realtree. Hey, Jay. Hey, Steve. Awesome info. Good to see you, David. Uh, Danny Ender. Uh, best external read sound for calling cows, Unit 3C specifically. I think Danny has a um, cow tag in Unit 3C. Is there any um, sounds that you would make different um if
1: you're just hunting cows yeah jay in that scenario i would say overall calf calling would be your most yeah. effective at that time um you know mature cows can get uh you know jealous and defensive of their of their herd and of their herd bull and uh, they don't always necessarily want to be social with other mature cows so um i feel like a calf call is always a winner um you know, elk are always curious about what's going on, especially if that calf call sounds, you know, maybe a little bit uh, desperate or, or, or worried or whatnot. Um, you know, th- they'll come running in and check it out, absolutely. And a calf call yeah. is shorter, you know. I, I feel like I can do it better on a mouth diaphragm, but it's just kind of a sharp, high-pitched. <coughs> something like that you know it's higher pitch sharper shorter
0: yeah yeah and um steve it's also when you're blowing calf calls not only do do, does the mom you know want to know where's my calf at and a lot of times she'll come but don't you find that other cows are defensive of and and want to also gather up calves even if they're not there so i mean calf calling um to me, excited calf calling is very effective when you're trying to get a cow to come to you.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, Jay. Yeah, they are very defensive of those calves, whether it's their calf or not. I'll tell you an interesting story really quickly. I remember one time sitting at a, at a water source with a guy on an evening hunt, and I always try my best if the elk don't come in during shooting light to get out of there so you're not spooking them before dark, but we just got trapped in there that night, they just came in at just the wrong time as we were getting ready to leave, and rather than just getting up and, and blowing them out of there and letting them see us, I whispered my hunter and the guy that was there video, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna coyote call at them. And I tell you what, Jay, what happened next surprised me. When I coyote yipped at them, those cows actually, they but aggressive, you know, they were, they, were they were gonna get that coyote out of there. Um, I'm not saying go out there coyote yipping to try to call a cow in, but it's pretty amazing to me. I definitely learned something that evening that they don't always run away from that. Um, Yeah, pretty crazy how they got defensive about it.
0: Yeah. Um, Someone says, how do you make a glunking sound? And I would ask you, Steve, I don't know if you have a tube there, but how do you make a glunking sound and why and
1: when would you use that sound? Yeah, um, I'm pretty cautious about using that sound. I don't use it a lot. But again, like we were talking about earlier with with raking, sometimes this can be a good sound rather than blowing a full-on bugle. I'm not going to use glunking if I'm blowing cow calls and a bull's coming to it or I've blown, you know, that lip ball bull calling cows bugle. I'm not going to mix in a glunk. But let's just say, you know, I want to make something that's, you know, non you know i should say non-vocal on a call but i'll use my grunt tube i'm not skilled enough to do it with my voice but i just use my hand and i just kind of cut my palm like this and sometimes you can even on the other end um every every grunt tube is different i wouldn't say this is my rogue tube I think it's phenomenal for making bugling and chuckling sounds. I wouldn't say it'd be my first pick for glunking. Maybe something with a little more open end on it for glunking. Um, Yeah, that's how I get with my palm. So I just got one of those
0: tubes and I was really impressed um, with that tube and the sounds. I'm excited to have it this year with me at the ranch. Um, It took you a while to kind of design that and and figure out exactly what you wanted in a tube. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, Jay. Um, It seemed like it was always, you know, kind of have it one way or the other. You could do good lip-balling sounds with a tube that had a wide mouthpiece, and then you could make better chuckles and high-pitched bugles with tubes that had a real narrow mouthpiece. Well, I feel like we kind of bridged the gap with this call by basically it's a have your cake and eat it too bugle if you will it's it does have a narrow mouthpiece but then right let me see that i can't quite see that see that jay okay yeah okay you can see the narrow mouthpiece is the blue part but then the lip ring that we incorporated into the call gives you that wider opening so that you can get your lips in there and make those uh, lip ball sounds let me show you what i'm talking about here I used to, with those narrow mouthpiece calls, I would literally have to pull the call away from my mouth so that it would vibrate and not stop my lips from vibrating. But now you don't have that problem. So you can... Like that. Yeah, really allows you to get there and flutter them.
0: So you specifically asked them to make you... um... You wanted it narrow in the middle, but you wanted the, the wide so that it gave you room to allow your lips to vibrate and not have to pull the call back?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You, and you, you don't. the cool thing is you don't lose that depth and three-dimensional quality that I liked so much out of a call with just the narrow mouthpiece alone. I thought maybe when we incorporated this lip ring that we might lose some of that three-dimensional quality, but it still has it. Um, And this lip ring, by the way, is removable for a guy who doesn't prefer it. You can pop it off of the call, so.
0: Okay. Um, Steve, I've got a question. Uh, Real fast, zero hunt fees. Um, Explain to anyone listening and then we'll get back to elk, zero hunt fees.
1: Yeah, so very simply, Jay, I say it's just an alternative way to cover the cost of a guided hunt. And it works very well for a lot of people who maybe don't have six or $7,000 laying around to cover the cost of a hunt. Or if they're a married guy, it's way easier to get spousal approval for zero hunt fees. When it's $349 a year, it covers the cost of your guided hunt if you draw a tag. There's no minimum amount of years you have to be in the program. So if you're that lucky guy who draws the very first year or in three or five years, I don't make you stay in the program to pay off your hunt. So... It's a win-win scenario for for, for most guys. Um, I'm offering it to residents and non-residents alike. Um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's it's a way for guys to make good elk hunt way more affordable. Um, you know, I can think of so so many things that, that people blow three hundred fifty dollars in a year on. And uh, just, yeah, but your elk hunt, this is your your premium that you're paying towards your guided elk hunt. Uh, that that's it very simply in a
0: nutshell yeah yeah i know it's been super successful and you've had a bunch of guys uh draw tags and and get a great guided hunt um so i encourage people to check that out got a question here I've, i have a big bull that's not very vocal um he wrote local but i think he means vocal what's the best way to get him in
1: yeah a bull like that if he stays not vocal you've got to try to work tight within his circle, so to speak, and get him to make a mistake. Because typically if you're in really close, Jay, like you were talking about earlier, some bulls with cows are defensive about it and they're very vocal. Other bulls aren't. And it sounds like, you know, if he's talking about a scenario where they're not, that's when you've got to be in there and you got to be inside of that zone and live in there, like inside of 120 yards, obviously without getting ended and not getting picked. Um, but you know those kind of bulls are still going to cycle around and, and and go around the perimeters of their herd. They're they're going to mill around and move around. And you know if, if if you're in there living in his kitchen, so to speak, and not and in that scenario, not giving away your location by calling, a lot of times that's when a bull's going to make a mistake. I mean, we know guys like Randy Olmer, um, our friend Dar Holburn, who are super stealth and get it done that way. I mean, not just not just once in a blue moon, but all the time when they have a tag. You know the big bull's going to go down, and they do it by not being vocal and not, you know, there's a, like I say, there's a time to call and there's a time to crawl, just depending on the scenario.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Steve, got a question here that came in on Instagram. It said, um, you make a bunch of different cow sounds. Can you walk through... You've, you've already demonstrated what, what you're calling the estrus call or the excited call. Can you walk through some of the basic calls from just a basic cow call and then how you kind of ramp and have different, like you have a wide variety of cow calls where I feel like I'm kind of a one trick pony. Can you demonstrate <laughs> some of the different cow calls that you use um, throughout a hunt?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'll do this on a mouth read. And again, I hopefully I, I sound okay. Um, but yeah, you heard me do the estrus call, you've heard me call on an external call. Um, this is how I would more call on an op- or on a on a, on a recall, um, just more of a standard cal call.
2: Okay.
1: And I learned from you, Jay, I, I don't open my mouth probably as wide as you do, and that's Probably a fault of mine, but I still feel like I blow the call with an open mouth Now I can blow it with a more closed mouth to quiet it down and get different, you know I can. Okay, if I'm out there and I'm trying to locate a bull in the morning with a mouth diaphragm I'm gonna call kind of like I am right here. Just Just like that. And you and I both, Jay, I think we're more about quality sounds than we are about quantity. So we're not just going to blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's kind of how I just do just what I would say is a standard cow call. Now, now the calf call, which I demonstrated a little earlier on the open read, is going to be more like this on a, on a, on a mouth call. like that again higher pitch sharper shorter okay and then I'll go into more emotional cow calls if I feel like I need to put a little more emotion out there to elicit a response and it's more like this I'm just pushing it into a little higher tone with a little more tongue pressure
0: You're holding the high note just a little bit longer. Um, you're yeah. you're keeping the pressure and the tongue pressure on the reed a little bit longer, maybe maybe a second and a half longer, and it's carrying it out a little bit more, which kind of makes it project out and, and and brings a little more emotion to it, right?
1: Exactly, and I just like you said, Jay, I'm just laying on it a little longer with my tongue pressure. I'm keeping my tongue pressure on the reed a little longer and I'm keeping my stomach tight for a little longer and keeping that pressure coming, that air pressure coming across the reed. And you can tell that there's no air leakage on the call. So when you're picking a mouth reed, it's very important to pick one where you're not getting that sound of of air escaping. reed. You're getting a nice seal like that, because that's how you can get those real tight, sweet, high-pitched sounds.
0: And then the next step would
1: be then going
0: into what you were demonstrating before and the other call where you're just, you're just
2: wah, 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 just
0: really getting after it. Demonstrate right.
1: that. That estrusy type sound.
0: Yeah. Just kind of that just
1: intense, like, yeah, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and you have to get the, the read a little bit damp. I want people to know dampen it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when you're doing that call right, Jay, and you're in the groove, you even have a little bit of spit flying out of your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to amp and, and, and a little bit wet. It sounds better. Yeah.
0: Steve, when you've gotten to that point where you're blowing that call, have you had reactions from um multiple bulls coming from different directions kind of like your video in 3c where that cow was making that sound and they were just coming um and have you had cows um have you had cows come to that call
1: um i have had cows come to the sound yes but it seems like more so you know nine times out of ten it's bulls coming to the sound even if they're leading their cows and sound um, yes. And I have had multiple bulls. I've had as many as four bulls converge on it. At the same time, I could specifically think about hunting with a unit nine muzzleloader hunter one time. And literally, like I said, we got set up right at the last second and yeah, four bulls converged on us right at the same time. And it was like, which, which one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Someone asked, how do you get the buzz specifically?
1: Yeah. Um, I think you can do it two ways. You can do it with your vocal cords. Let me, Oh. is how I would do it without the call in my mouth. My tongue pressed up against the palate at the top of my mouth. Zzz, zzz, is kind of what it sounds like. I'm not saying anything into the call, but that's the sound it makes. And then if someone has a hard time with that, I feel like you can do it with your lips well also. And that's, like that and that's how i did it in the beginning and when i hear when i hear it now i i really think it sounds good that way too your lips yeah
0: yeah it really does um steve you've been uh, gracious to spend a little over an hour here with us i want to thank you for your time um before we go um you're going to be spending the majority of your time uh
1: in unit nine in arizona is that right Yes, yes, Jay. My favorite unit, oh gosh, I tell you what, it has been such a turnaround like we talked about earlier. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, Anybody with an elk tag this year, you know, it looked bad in the beginning, and I know people were considering turning tags in, but man, 100% turnaround. So it's going to be an amazing year, I think.
0: Yeah, and then Steve, um, year after year, uh, after elk season in Arizona, you get to go back to uh, you and your dad's place there in in um, Colorado, uh, private property, and where you get to almost go from full rut to full rut, and um, I think that's what's made you so good as well as because you've been able to hear elk every day for you know all of september and then pretty much the first two three weeks of october um just i want to end on being able to hear elk like i mean i i get to do that too at the odd six you know for 45 days and just listen to them how do you feel like that really helps you become a better elk hunter a better elk caller and understanding you know to how to make quality sounds Yeah, Jay,
1: I think it's everything. I think it's, you know, I feel really blessed to be able to do that. And, um, you know, ever since I was young and, you know, I, I attribute that to my dad raising me that way and then including me in the hunting when I was in my early 20s when I didn't know much at all but was still, you know, hungry and learning. But you're right, the more that you can hear live elk and tune your ear into that. I feel like I do that every year, Jay. I don't know about you, but I feel when I get out there and hear real elk, I kind of go oh okay that's what i need to sound like and it kind of changes me a little bit every year um i feel like that's super valuable for guys who can't hear live elk a lot um i think um, your your material jay is extremely valuable i mean you're posting content all the time where you've got live elk you know on trail camera and whatnot you've got that going on so I would encourage um, the viewers and listeners to really key into those trail camera videos and your content and uh, really tune their ear to those elk sounds. And um, I feel like also not only the sounds, but pick up on that tone and emotion in the call. It really is meaningful, um, that emotion that you're putting out there.
0: Yeah, I think the more you can listen to the real thing, the better off you are and understanding the cadence and the timing and the tonal quality and some of that different thing that we talk about. Um, Steve, it's always great having you on the pod- podcast and on Instagram live here. And I know people get a lot of value out of it, um, and continue to do great work with your TV show and with your, you build some great calls and, um, with the zero hunt fees, um, and the, you know, the guide service, uh, chapel guide service, you're going to have a big year this year. Um, you're going under the name Elk Hunt TV guide service. Is that right? Um, Elk
1: yeah. Camp. Yeah. Since Elk Camp Elk- TV. Yeah, you know, I I just thought it was a better match, um, you know, to go with the theme. Elk camp guide service. I think it's kind of nice for my guides too to not have to wear a hat that has my name on it. You know what I mean? (laughs) I think elk cooler for them to get to wear the the hat that says elk camp guide service. So so yes, moving forward, we're kind of transitioning into that. Awesome. Well, sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your time with us, buddy. Okay. Well, oh, thank you, Jay. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. And thanks to all the viewers and listeners out there, guys. I want to wish you all the best on your hunts this year. It only comes around once a year, so make the most of it and enjoy it. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. God bless. Thanks,
0: Jay. All right. Guys, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to send me a direct message, you can do so on my Instagram account, which is at Outdoors. You can also send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I appreciate all the feedback on the podcast and I look forward to hearing from you. Gohunt.com Insider has filtering 2.0 where you can get draw odds, strategy articles, specie and unit breakdowns, and unbelievable gear giveaways. Did you know that they actually have a point system where you get eleven percent back to the consumer for using points for every dollar spent? Also, new, uh, a new addition is the mapping. Go Hunt Maps. You have the desktop version. You have the mobile version for iOS and for Android users. There's never been a greater value for the Go Hunt Insider. Check them out at gohunt.com forward slash jscott.